Well, this morning is going to be our third message in this series on healing. And I've entitled the message, God Wants You Healed. Because what we looked at two weeks ago was the fact that sickness is the domain of the enemy. It doesn't belong to God. It's not one of his tools. It's not something that he uses in our lives, but it's actually a tool of the enemy. He's trying, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And then last week we looked at the promises of God concerning healing. And it's great. We got to look through the Word and we get to see what God says about healing and how He's promised healing in our lives and in our bodies and in our, in our spirits as well. And that's all well and good. But the problem that we run into as individuals is that <clears throat> we run into a situation that we tend to think that we ourselves, there's something in us that makes us unredeemable. There's something unique in our lives that makes us unworthy. There's something about us that, yes, these promises that God made, they're for everybody else, but not for me. Pastor Wayne, if you knew the kind of stuff that I've done, if you've known the things that have happened in my life, you would know that there's nothing God could do for me. But I want to tell you this morning, that's absolutely untrue. It's actually, do you know that's one of the greatest tools of the enemy to think that you're unique in whatever you're going through? That, that nobody else has struggled like you're struggling right now? And actually what happens is it brings shame on our lives and a lot of those things, and we're afraid to tell anybody. We're afraid to reach out for help. We're afraid to reach out for prayer because we think something is wrong with us when the truth is is the enemy trying to isolate you. But I want you to know this morning that there's actually nothing that you can do in your life that has surprised God. God knew you from before you were formed in your womb, your mother's womb. He knew the plan that you had for your life. He knew everything about you. He knew the things that were going to happen to you, and you have not surprised him with any one of them. And you say, well, how can God love me with the things I've done? And that's the great thing about God, because we we, we serve a God where, where everyone else in our life, if they knew some of the stuff that we've done, they might turn around, they might walk away. If they knew it, we don't want to tell anybody. Even our, even our spouses don't know everything about us because if, we, if they knew, what would they think? But God knows everything about you. There's nothing hidden from him. And the reality is, is he doesn't love you for the things that you've done. He loves you in spite of the things that you've done. He knew everything about you and he still sent his son to go to the cross for you. And he cares for each and every one of you in this room individually and uniquely. He cares about you. And if you were the only one that would ever been to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he would have still sent him just for you because he loves you. In Luke 12, 6 through 7, it says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. You know, when you, when you love something, when you care about something, you know everything about it. I mean, think about the things that you like to do the most, your hobbies, your, your interests. Those are the things you know the most about. And God knows everything about you. He, he cares about you. He even knows how many hairs are on your head. And I look out there this morning, and, and that's easier for God with some of us than others, but he knows everything about you. And he cares about you. He even cares about these, these, these sparrows that are sold for two pennies. And if God even cares about them, how much more would he care about you? Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Before you were born, God knew who you were. God had a plan for you. Before you were, it says before you saw my unformed substance. You know, we, we've been doing this study on Wednesday nights about the questions Christian hopes 
nobody will ask. And what we talked about today, last Wednesday, was the, the whole idea of abortion and why is that such a big deal for Christians. And this is one of the reasons. is because before the baby was even formed, God knew who they were. God cared about them. God had a plan for their life. And that's why it's a big deal, because that life is precious to God. So today, I really want to focus on the reality that these promises made by God for healing are not just general promises, but they are promises that are applicable to you. These are promises God made to you, and it's, and it's God's will that you would be healed. It's not just a good idea, and he hopes it. This is God's will for your life. And what I'm hoping is, is that when, you, when we hear about these things, it's like if I were to come up to you and show you in a paper that said, hey, look, Somebody, just, somebody died and his heir just inherited. He, he died and all of his money he's, he's giving to, to some person. You'd be like, well, that's, that's interesting. That's kind of cool. You know, I guess that, that guy's got everything going on now. He's, he's having a fortune donated to him. But it doesn't really mean anything to you. But if I would have said, but wait, he's giving it all to you, then all of a sudden the story changes. Then all of a sudden it makes an impact in your life. And I want you to see this morning that God cares about you and his will is for you to be healed amen so let's go ahead and get started in psalm 103 3 it says who forgives all your inequity and who heals all your diseases referring to god and then in psalm 147 3 it says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds do you know that all diseases can be healed by god that there's not a single disease that's too big to be touched by god to be healed by god and it's, it's what God wants to do. It's, I mean, this is describing God. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He forgives all their inequity, and He heals all their diseases. And I'm, I've seen in, in, in my life people that have been touched by God and had cancer cured. I've had a hepatitis cured. We were just with, meeting with Pastor Mike and Jane last night, and they were telling a story about one of the men that attends their congregation. And he's, and he's, he's in his uh, uh, mid-80s, I believe he said, and, and his wife's been a Christian their whole life, and he just got saved like four months ago. But he ended up getting cancer in his tongue. And the doctor says we have three options. One, we can let it go and you'll be dead in a month. Two, we can cut out your tongue and it'll prolong it, you'll have a much longer life, but you won't be able to speak. Or we can give you radiation, which will slow it down, probably give you three months to live, but because of where the radiation is going to be, you're probably not going to speak anyway because it's going to damage your tongue and all that going through it. So he decided that uh, if this is how it is, then he didn't want to live the last few months of his life not being able to speak to anybody, not wanting to say anything to anybody. So he decided to just let it go. Well, then Pastor Mike came out to the, host- to the hospital and they laid hands on him and they-, they prayed for him. And this was a year ago and he gave up and just gave his testimony in church. And-, and obviously if he's able to give his testimony, he still has his tongue, he still can talk. He's completely cancer-free. The doctor said, you have a month left to live and he's completely cancer-free now. And this is just one of millions of stories that you can, you can look up on the internet and read about. I- there's dozens that I've experienced personally where, where people have been touched by God. Because it is his will for them to be whole. Matthew 9.35 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. There is no disease, there is no sickness that is too big for God to handle. And there's none that's too small that he doesn't care about. 
That's another thing that we tend to do as we go, oh, it's, it's just a headache. I don't want to bother God with that. I don't want to bother somebody asking me to pray for that. But God wants you healed of every disease and every affliction, everything that's against you. And then it goes on to say that he heals the brokenhearted. Do you know that all sickness, all disease is not physical? Sometimes it's mental. Sometimes it's, it's you know, people have great depression. Their, their heart hurts. Or they have anxiety. Not all afflictions are physical in the way that, you know, we think about them being physical. Sometimes they're mental. Sometimes it's people's hearts that hurt. But God wants all of that to be healed. And it's, it's not just the physical diseases that we see. This is the reason why we refer to God as the great physician. Anybody ever heard God referred to as the great physician? You guys know what verse that comes from? Not a single one. There's nowhere in the Bible that it refers to God as the great physician. So why do we refer to him as that? And there's two reasons. One, because in the scripture, over and over and over again, God is there healing people. He's restoring them. And then in our, we have, in our physical lives, we've all seen evidence of God touching somebody's life. Amen? In Hosea 6.1 it says, Come let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down and will bind us up. This is an interesting verse because it seems like it's referring to as, as God being the one doing the breaking, God being the one doing the, the tearing. And we've actually been going through Hosea in, our, in our, uh, one of our Friday night Bible studies right now, and, and the, the doctor that's doing it is Chuck Misner. He's been doing an excellent job of going through these scriptures and talking about what's going on here. And the interesting thing about this verse is if you keep on reading in verse 2, it says this, After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Does that sound familiar to anybody? On the third day he will rise up. Paul references this scripture in 1 Corinthians 15.4. It says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the scripture that he was referring to. So what we have going on here in Hosea is that Israel, particularly the northern kingdom there, is, is, is going through some rough stuff. God has, has, has laid out his will and his plan for them. And, and, and like Israel did many times, and like many of us do in our own lives, I hesitate, probably all of us have done in our own lives, is God says, this is what I want for you, and we say, nope, God, we got a better idea. I think we'll do it the way that we want to do it. And what ends up happening is, is life usually gets messed up. I know that's true in my life, and I'm, I'm not special, I'm not unique, so I imagine all of you have had experiences like that in your life where you thought you would do it your way, and in the end, we wish we'd have just done it God's way. But there... Israel's being rebuked by God in Hosea. If you actually read through the first part of Hosea, it's almost heartbreaking what's going on. And they're being rebuked, and Hosea speaks prophetically in the reply. He says, come let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us, that he has struck us down, and he will bind us up. And like we said, it refers to, to, to the Messiah in the end, because the scripture refers to the Messiah being raised up on the third day. And the reality is, is that punishment is required for justice to be done. But that was taken up in Jesus Christ. He, he went to the grave for us and rose up again. He was, he was punished on the cross for our injustice, our, what we were owed, what we deserved. He took that upon himself and he rose again and gave us newness of life. This is that he has torn us, he has struck us down, and that was done in Jesus. But that was that we may be healed and we will be bound up in him, that we could be be returned to the same way that we were, that man was before the fall, that we could be made whole. 
However, we see in Israel multiple times and we see in our own lives that we can actually walk in such a way that we limit God's blessing in our lives. We can actually walk in such a way that it, that it makes it difficult, if not impossible, for God to work in our lives. You say, Pastor Wayne, you mean that there's some things that God can't do? Yes, there's some things that God can't do. And that may be a shock to some of you, but it's true because we know that God can't lie. We know that God can't be okay with sin. We know that God can't turn the other way. There are things that God can't do. And one of the things that He can't do is, is bless us when we walk outside of His ways for our life because that's what He set up. If you walk in His commandments, He will bless you, but the opposite is true. We, we, we limit ourselves to what God can do in our lives, and that's what happened to, to Israel here. And I believe that's what happens in many people's lives when they can't receive the healing that God has provided for them because they're kind of doing things their own way. In Luke 13, 34, it's one of my favorite scriptures that talks about this kind of stuff. It says, Luke 13, 34 says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are, who are sent it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her broods under her wings? And you were not willing. The great thing about this is we see that, that, that God has always wanted to gather in his people, to lay blessing out upon his people, to love his people, to lift them up, to encourage them, to do all those things. And he says, I, get, I wanted to gather you like a, a hen gathers in her brood. And the picture there is a wing that's being brought in. And the thing that you see about that is, is if, if, a, if a bird brings its wing in and pulls its chicks in, if they want to, they can press hard enough and wiggle through the feathers. As much as the mother hen wants to bring them in, that they, they can push through. And that's what's happening here. It says, it says, I wanted to gather you in like a hen gathers in her room, but you were not willing. And they pressed away and limited God working in their life. So I want you to know that when you're looking in the Old Testament and you see certain things happen, you always have to keep them, one, in the light of Jesus, which is what we're doing. He, when it says, he says that he has torn us or that he has struck us down. He has, it's true. But he did that in his son so that we wouldn't have to pay that penalty because justice did, was required. But then he rose us up in him and he made us brand new again. He gave us a newness of life. And all that junk that you've ever done that you think God can't, can't look at you and love you for was taken care of in his son and he loves you anyway. And he wants you raised up anyway. And his promises are for you and they're guaranteed because the scripture says what? Every promise is yes in him. Yes and amen in him. Amen? So here's the, the Jesus that we're talking about that, that, that provides all of this. We have to look at what was he sent for? In Luke 4, 18 through 20, 22, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus speaking in a synagogue. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And they begin to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? You know, this was the very purpose that Jesus was sent here, was, was to heal us, both spiritually and physically. And he says he was sent to proclaim the good news of the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and liberty of those who are oppressed, those all refer to spiritual and physical instances of healing in our lives. 
And it's actually, this actually kind of blew the Jews away at the time because they believed that the Messiah was going to be an economic and political Messiah, that he was going to come and, and rescue them from Roman oppression and rescue them from that. And he would be a king and he would lead them on a large white horse and take care of everything. But instead, Jesus showed up on a donkey instead of, a, instead of the, the horse leading the army. Because he came to, to be our Messiah in our bodies and our spirits to restore us to the way we were when, when Adam was in the garden, perfect and right with God. Jesus is actually quoting Isaiah 61, 1-2 here. And this scripture referred to the Messiah. He basically came out and said to them, I am the Messiah. And they begin to look at him and saying, wait a minute. You're the Messiah, but don't we, don't we know you? Aren't, aren't you Joseph's son? You see, they, they heard him speak and they were awed at his message. And they, they began to say great things about him, but then they began to question what he was saying. You know, I think for many of us, that's the same thing that happens to us. Jesus says, I am the Messiah, I am your Savior. And we have to, to decide, do we believe what he's saying? Or do we think he was just a good man? Do we think he was just a prophet? Or is he, or is he who he says he was? Because when Jesus came declaring who he was, he didn't give us any other options but three things. He didn't give us, he never said, I'm a good man. He never said, he claimed being the son of God. He came down and said that I, I am the Messiah. He never said that you could have any other option. So you have three choices. He's either a liar, or he's crazy, or he is what he says he is. Because a good man was never an option. And just like them, we have to decide if he is who he says he is. And if we come to the conclusion that, he, conclusion that he is who he says he is, we can begin to look at his life and begin to see God's will in his life and what God's will is for us through the life that Jesus lived. In John five nineteen it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father do. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. You've heard me say it before, but Jesus is perfect theology. You know, many, many of us uh, have it in our heads because we've been told by others, we see it on TV, that God works in mysterious ways and that we can't know the will of God. But I want to say this morning that we can know the, know the will of God because we see the will of God in His Son. Jesus said, I don't do anything but what I see the Father doing. So that means Jesus only does what the Father does. He doesn't do what the Father doesn't do. And that means when we look at Jesus, whatever He does is the will of the Father. Does that make sense? Whatever Jesus does is the will of the Father. God revealed himself to us in his Son. And we can know God by looking at Jesus. We don't have to be confused what God wants for our lives. You know, when we look and, and we tend to think that maybe God's just waiting for us to mess up so he can bash us over our knees with a big stick and really stick it to us. But you go, wait a minute, let's look at Jesus' life. Did anybody ever see Jesus do anything like that? No. He welcomed everyone who came in. And I guarantee you the people that came to him for healing... For, for salvation, they weren't coming to him perfect. They weren't any different than any of us. But he, he, he opened and welcomed them in with open arms. Amen. Jesus never turned anyone away. And more specifically for what we're dealing with today, and we'll look at a few scriptures, but Jesus never turned anyone away for healing. Not once did somebody come for healing and Jesus go, you know, I'd really like to, but you're going to have to work on these couple things in your life. You know, I, I, I saw that the last... Two Saturdays, you weren't at the, at the temple or, or you, you, weren't, you weren't going to, to these things. You weren't doing these. I, I noticed that. So, you know, you get those things straightened out and then maybe we'll, we'll go ahead and take care of your healing. Did anybody ever read that in their Bible? It's not in mine. 
Because God's will for us is all to be touched and healed and restored. You know the only person that Jesus said no to for healing was the Canaanite woman? She came to him and, and he asked for healing. That's the one where, where he, said, he said, you know, we, I can't give my bread to the dogs. And she said, she said, well, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall off to the master's table. She's the only person that Jesus said no to. And it wasn't because he didn't want to. It was because it wasn't her time yet. Because he had not yet come to the Gentiles. He was there for the Jews. And she persists. Because she underst- there was something in her that understood that the will of God is for, is for her to be well. She understood something that nobody at the time was getting. And she persisted and Jesus healed her daughter, her possessed daughter. And he pressed her. Actually, you know, the only, the only two times in the Bible that Jesus did a miracle that he didn't want to is because a woman insisted in his life. You guys remember when he, when he turned water into wine and that whole story? That's because mom said, hey, you need to do this. And he's like, what does this have to do with me, woman? And I, I wish I was there for that because I don't think we get the whole story. Because he says, he says, what's that got to do with me, woman? Anybody ever talk to their mom like that? I, it's not written, but I'm almost positive. She said, just because you're 30-something years old don't mean I won't take you up back and put you over my knee. Get in there and make some wine. Something like that happened. But she didn't want, he didn't want to do that miracle. Matter of fact, it was not his time. But, but Mary knew who her son was. He knew what he was about. He knew what she, she believed in him. And he obviously did as his mom says because that's what good boys do. And the same thing, the Canaanite woman, he, he didn't want to heal her, and, and she persisted. Actually, the other one, too, was, was when Jesus was walking through the crowd, and he said, I felt power go out of me. That wasn't God's, that wasn't what he, he intended to do at the time anyway. But this woman believed and insisted and trusted in him so much. And I'm getting way ahead of myself because we're going to talk about this stuff next week. But she believed that he was who he said he was and he would do who he said he would do. But this woman, she knew that it was the will of God for her to be healed. And she persisted and she insisted. In Luke 15, 12 through 15, it says, While he was on one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Leprosy is a nasty business. It is, it, is, it is not a lighthearted disease. It's not a minor rash. If they have full-blown leprosy, it's, it's, it'll eventually kill them, but it's, it's a death sentence. And in this case, it marks you as unclean. So not only were you physically ill and condemned to death physically, but you were ostracized from your community because, because if anybody came near you, if anybody touched you, they were immediately considered unclean. And if you ever want to see the... the the process for dealing with leprosy, read Leviticus uh, 13 and 14. It describes the process in great detail of what they have to do to determine if it's leprosy and, and if you can be considered cleansed and, and be welcomed back into the community. But, but they weren't even allowed to live in the city. They were stuck on the outside. 
if you were walking around and you had leprosy, you had to walk around with a bell yelling unclean, unclean, so that they knew that you were coming, so that they could, they could step away. Because if, if a Jewish man touched somebody that was unclean, they were immediately considered unclean, and they had to go through the cleansing process as well. They couldn't live in the city. They weren't, definitely weren't allowed into the temple to worship. They were ostracized. And we see an amazing thing happen right here is that this man came up to Jesus. Now, if this doesn't prove that it was Jesus' will to help him to touch him, then I don't know what does, because you've got to understand that Jesus was a Jewish man. And we see that, that to, to follow and be according to the law, he, he, he kept the commandments. He, he went according to the law, but he allowed this man to come up to him and speak to him, which was already way against the rules. Even letting him come close was crazy. But then he reached out his hand to touch this man. And that was unheard of because at that moment, Jesus would have been considered unclean. And this is, this, is, this is a different world than we live in today. This was not a slap on the wrist type of thing. This was a big deal. But Jesus was willing to deal with all that because he, he, he wanted to touch this man. And he says, he says to Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I will be clean. In other translation, the New American Standard, it says, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. Healing and, and changing people and touching people's lives and, and, and making them whole is the business of Jesus. It is his will. In the, and, and this man was the one that should have... This isn't like somebody that, that, that was, was in good standing with society and they had a, a high position and it would be expected. This is someone that nobody expected Jesus to touch. This is somebody that everybody else in society had already considered worthless, that he was worth nothing. This is somebody that, that they've already pushed away. And if anybody else would have came near him, it made them unclean. It put them in a position. But Jesus said, I am willing. And it's no different for any one of us in this room, no matter what we've done, no matter what has happened. Jesus is willing in your life. Amen? In Luke 5, 12, <clears throat> in Matthew 8, 5-7, it says, When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. This is another interesting situation where this is somebody that, that really had no business interacting and requesting this of Jesus. This was a Roman centurion. He wasn't a, he wasn't a Jew. This was a, a high-ranking Roman soldier. He was being a centurion, and he was in charge of a, of a unit of 100 soldiers. And this Roman soldier is actually kind of unique because he's one of the few the Jews actually like. He actually honored God. He loved God. But most Roman soldiers were despised, and they were hated by the Jews. But this one actually paid for and built their synagogue. And this is why we see the, the Jewish elders coming and, and they were sent by the soldiers to ask for help from Jesus. Because he was, he was different than the others. But the reality was, is it wasn't his, just like the, the, the Canaanite woman, it wasn't his time either. He was still a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew and he was asking for healing. And the soldier is, is asking about his servant. He's not even asking for himself. He's asking for a servant. He's operating in a godly manner. He's respecting the life and health of those that are in a lower position than he is. But Jesus says, you know what? I will come. 
And it's a non-Jew. It's not someone that Jesus should have been interested in. It's someone that, that everybody there was thinking, what has Jesus got to do with this man? Just like the Canaanite woman. And we see this in Jesus' life. Jesus isn't a respecter of person, your status, your position, your employment. He loves you for you. And once again, we see the will of Jesus. He says to him, I will come and heal him. That is his, that is his will, that is his answer to all of us in our lives. I will come. I will meet you where you're at. I will be there for you. And my promise is, are yes for you. Not generally, but for you. Amen? Because the truth is, is that everyone matters to Jesus. On Mark 4, 35-36, it says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And then it goes on in Mark 5, 1 through 5. This is the rest of the story. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. And night and day... Among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. This is an interesting story to me because Jesus, at this point, is ministering to the crowds. Right now, he's ministering to the crowds. He's healing people in their midst. He's, he's doing what Jesus does. He's loving them. He's teaching. And people are being set free. But then he goes and leaves to minister off by himself. And this is an amazing story because Jesus left everybody else there. He had already touched. He had already done what he was going to do. But he left them to seek out somebody else. And it's this lone man that's off by himself. Actually, the other scriptures for there's two men over there that have these, these demons in them. But he goes over to this, this, this man by himself. And he's going to, to heal him. He, he, he took a trip specifically just to reach this man. And I don't know if you understand the impact of that, but this is, this is Jesus. He's starting to, to, to have a following. People know who he is. He's ministering to crowds. He's doing a good thing. But he stops what he's doing to reach these two men in the tombs just for them. And these guys aren't, are probably not Jews either. At least we know the people that lived over there weren't Jews, because you guys know the story, right? They go and he, he casts out the demons. The demons were named Legion because there were many, and he, he casts them out into the pigs, right? So we're pretty, I'm pretty sure they're not Jews because there's no Jew that's going to be hurting pigs. And unless they was just kind of pushed out over there, he's probably from that community. Matter of fact, I know he's from that community because Jesus sends them back to his community, even though he wants to follow them. But he sends them over to these, to these men. They're, they're, they're bound by demons. And this isn't a, a minor case of, of something. I mean, these guys were, were possessed in such a way that they couldn't even be bound. They're breaking chains. Nothing could hold them. And Jesus goes over there, and, and he completely frees and liberates this man. He heals these men from what's going on. And he went out of his way to these two non-Jewish men who had no right, who had no 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 reason to expect this 
If they had any of their, of their sanity left inside of them, they were probably thinking, why would anybody care about me? Look at the stuff that we've done. Maybe we're influenced, but look at the stuff that we're doing and the damage we're causing. Why would anybody care about us? But Jesus stopped what he was doing, preaching to the crowd, and went after these two individually. And he met them where they were. And the truth is, is that Jesus does the same for each and every one of us. It doesn't matter what we're doing. He's coming to us individually and meeting you where you're at. Because that's his will is for you to be first saved, to be redeemed, to be made brand new. But then he also wants us to have, you guys have all heard it says that we, we get saved to one day go to heaven. But the truth is, is that, that Jesus wants us to have a little bit of heaven on earth right now. He has made provision for us to be completely redeemed, to be forgiven, to be restored, to be healed, to be made whole. And he's done it for each and every one. He's willing to leave everybody else to go to you directly because he cares about you. And the other interesting thing about this story is you guys remember the rest of this story? Because the, the pigs get, all go off the edge of the cliff and they all die. And you guys remember what the crowd said, the, the people that lived there said? They wanted Jesus to leave. They figured that their pigs were more important than the life of these two men. You know, we need to be careful too that we're never thinking that way as well. There's so many times where we get caught up in what's going on and, and, and we, we begin to, in our heads, begin to choose who we're going to minister to, who we're going to share with. You know, who we want to speak to, who we want to, to interact with, when the truth is, is that every person is important to Jesus. And if every person is important to God, if he loves every person, then that's the way that, that we should be thinking as well. That should be our heart. It's to consider everyone just as important. Matter of fact, the scripture says you should consider everybody more important than yourself. And God is not a respecter of persons. God didn't care if they were Jewish or they weren't Jewish, if they were possessed or they weren't possessed, if they were rich Roman soldiers or they were, they, were, they were poor begging Canaanite women. He loves them all. And his will is for them to be whole. And he shows it time and time again in the scripture. Matthew twelve fifteen. Jesus, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and healed, and many followed him, and he healed them all. Jesus had just, before this happened, Jesus had just healed somebody on the Sabbath. And if you remember, because he was healing on the Sabbath, apparently that was making all the, all the, the Jewish leaders upset because he was working on the Sabbath. They didn't care that somebody had just been completely and miraculously restored. They were upset that he was working on the Sabbath. And actually, when that happened, he had decided, they had decided, this is one of the times they decided they were going to kill Jesus for what he was doing. So they just decided they were going to kill him. They were going to destroy him. And people followed him after he left that place and he continued to heal. He, they continued to heal them all. He didn't turn anybody away, even knowing that it was at his own detriment that they would be coming after him. Matthew fourteen fourteen. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Matthew fifteen thirty through 31 And great crowds came to him, bringing with him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put him at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Every time in the Scriptures when you see Jesus healing, he never turns anybody away. His will is for all to be healed. And that includes you. All of us in this room, God wants us to be 
not only saved, but to be restored, to be victorious, to be healthy, and to be whole. And he knows you, and he sees you. He knows your needs, and he has compassion on you. It says here he had compassion on them. Jesus has compassion on you as well. And he, he's perfect theology. He does what, he, what the Father does. And it's God's will that we would be healed. And we see Jesus do it time and time again. And the other thing that we see, which should be true in our life, is that when it's all said and done, it says they glorified the God of Israel. Did you know that praise and worship is the natural result of what God has done in your life? What, it's the, it should be the natural outpouring of the recognition, recognition, is that a word? It should be the natural result of us recognizing what God has done in our lives. I mean, it's the same reason why, why, why during the offering that, that we, can, we give unto God, it's not because it's our duty to give to Him, it's, it's a natural result of what He's done for us. It's the reason why we go to church. It's the reason why when we worship, we, we lift up our hands and we honor Him. It's the natural result of what He's, he's done for us. Any one of us in, our, in this room, if, if somebody did something for us, they let us borrow some money or they come help. I mean, how many, anybody ever had somebody help you move? How many of you know that it's kind of understood that if somebody helps you move, the, the favor is going to get returned? And, and honestly, when somebody does something for us, that's our natural result is to want to do something back for them. And it's no different with God. He gave everything for us. He sent His Son. I have a Son. And I've said it before. If I was God, you guys would all be hosed because I, I couldn't give up my Son. So thank God I'm not God. But He gave His Son for us. He gave His very own life for us. How could we not worship in return? How could we not honor him in return? And it's, like I said, it's not a sense of duty or obligation. It's, it's out of love. Amen? Amen? And then we also see when Jesus sent people out, he did the very same thing. We saw that Jesus healed, but when he sent out his disciples, they were expected to do the same. In Matthew 10, 7 through 8, it says, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Other translations say, As you have been given freely, freely give. The apostles' mission, the disciples' mission, and ours as well, is the same as Jesus. <coughs> except now we don't forgive sins. We, pre- we preach the redemption and forgiveness of sins. And we begin to see Jesus' heart because he's, this is the, the Father's heart. This is Jesus' heart. And he, he tells his apostles and disciples to do the same. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, lepers, cast out demons. He gives them the authority to do these things. Even raise the dead. Did you know, you and I have that very same authority. God's power has not diminished over the last 2,000 years. What has diminished, I think, in many ways is our faith. Being like we talked about last week, are we crazy enough to think that God's going to do what He said He's going to do? Are we crazy enough to to believe Him at His word? We have the authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to to return sight, and to even raise the dead. And we don't see it very often, but there are documented cases of of the dead being raised again. 
And there's cases of people that have died. Like I told you last week, we're going to have Dean Braxton come out um, hopefully sometime next year. I need to, to get in touch with him. But, but he died. He was clinically dead for four and a half hours. It, it's not disputed. This is, this is clinically documented. And he, he came back to life. And he says he's, he's going to tell a story. He was in heaven. Matter of fact, in November, he'll be at the Tucson church. But people have been risen from the dead. And I've, I've, I've seen the stories. It's been documented. It's, God is not any less powerful today than he ever was. And he's given us that authority. If we would just have the courage to, to, to go out there and exercise it. In Luke 10, 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of them, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So first it was the apostles, but now it's 72 other disciples. So it's not just the, disciples, the apostles that were given this authority, but his disciples as well. And he says to them in Luke 10, 8-9, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Jesus didn't just command his 12 disciples, but all his disciples to heal the sick. And for many of us, that just seems crazy. Many of us seems that that, that, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen. But the truth is, is we have to decide, are we going to take God at his word and believe what he says? Are we going to pick and choose what we want, what feels good to us? But he says heal the sick, and it wasn't just his 12 apostles, but it was all of his disciples. And sometimes we like to pigeonhole God's, God's desire to just be for that time, that, oh no, this authority to do these things was just for his 12 disciples, or no, it was just for the, the early church. This kind of stuff doesn't happen today anymore, but the truth is, is it still happens today. The, 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 in the scripture, the evidence you see of it was, was Philip. Philip wasn't an apostle. Philip wasn't, wasn't anything but a disciple. He started out serving tables to the widows. And then we find out later he's referred to as Philip the Evangelist. He actually ministered, and he was, it says in the scriptures, he was doing signs and wonders and miracles. He wasn't one of the 12 the, the apostles, but he was still operating in that authority. Anytime the kingdom of God is brought somewhere, Healing comes along with it. And that's still today. Health and wellness is always a part of the kingdom of God because God's kingdom is whole. God's kingdom is not divided. It's not full of sick people. It's not God's kingdom is whole. Amen? Amen. In Acts 28, 26-28 says, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6. And Paul says that the Holy Spirit spoke this to the prophet, and he begins to repeat this. But the important part for us is here at the end, we see that, that they were dull of hearing, their eyes wouldn't be open. So God says, well, I'm going to take this to the Gentiles. Well, that includes all of us in this room. He says, they will listen. The Jews wouldn't hear the message, and as a result, the message is made available to all of us. And salvation and God's desire to heal is for us today. His desire for you to be well and whole is for us today. You remember the Canaanite woman we were talking about earlier? She kind of pushed her way into the party a little bit early. 
But we don't have to today. The invitation has been made open to each and every one of us. Everyone in this room. And if you're saved, that's great. But that's not the end of it. It's so much more than going to heaven one day. You've been made free from anything that's holding you in bondage today. You've been made victorious today. And as we've been ministering on today, you've been made whole today. Sometimes it takes a little while for our body to catch up with the truth of what's actually happened. But the, the scripture is truth. And it says that by his stripes you were made well. And we'll go ahead and end here this morning. In Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And in Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Jesus is not changing. And God is not changing his mind. And he's not lying to us. When we read the scriptures, the, the scriptures said that the, the, that the scriptures are for our teaching and for rebuke and for correction. And basically, they're, they're for us to learn today. And when we read the scriptures, it's for us today. Because Jesus hasn't changed who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, today, and forever. And God has not changed his mind. So when we see that it's Jesus' will to heal for them 2,000 years ago, that means it's his will for us to behold today. Because nothing has changed. It is still God's will for our lives. God has always been a father who wants health and wholeness for his children. And the reality is the choice is ours. Do we believe he is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do? Or is this something that we just hear on Sunday, it sounds like a good idea and hopefully it'll change our moral compass a little bit? Or do we believe He is who He says He is? Are we willing to accept that when we got saved, something happened inside of us? Christianity is not about living a right life, although that's a side effect. It's about a relationship with God who changed, who gave His life and changed everything inside of us. So do we, do we believe that or do we think it's just a good time on Sunday morning? The preacher gets up and preaches. He says a few things. We feel a little bit guilty. Monday, things are going good. Tuesday, we're slipping back. By Wednesday, we're just where we were. And, and if we make it back to church on Sunday, maybe we'll, we'll get tweaked a little bit. Or is there something serious that happened? Did God actually change us? Did he make us whole? Did he make us free? Are we righteous? I say the answer is yes. In him that we are. He is who he says he is. And he'll do what he says he'll do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand our feet. <clears throat>